0: Now, someone is basically acting as an HR and payroll department of one, sometimes across multiple states, lots of complex situations, and that results in time away from their primary duties, and it also creates a lot of stress.
1: Welcome to the EaseMakers podcast, presented by Nines, for people who are passionate about the art of private service. Every estate manager has a story, and this is where you get to hear them. On this show, you'll learn from the best in the business, get tips and inspiration to fuel your career, and connect with people who get it. Subscribe now and join the conversation at easemakers.com.
2: I'm Mohammed Elsmore. and on the show today, Kristen Twyford and I are talking about managing risk in household employment with Rachel Green, who's CEO of TEAM, an all-in-one payroll and HR provider that's custom-built for household staff.
1: We're covering everything from hiring and keeping great employees to handling tough situations the right way. In this conversation, Rachel shares real-life stories to help you solve household employment challenges as well as some of her own lessons learned from managing client services and leading a team.
0: Typically, you know, your listeners or whoever is in charge of household employment, they have a lot of things on their mind. They need to attract and retain top talent. They wanna take care of payroll and administration smoothly so that everyone, including them, can focus on their primary role, which is typically not this. And then third, they want to protect um, the family and the household from downside risk. The problem with that is that traditional offerings were conceived to only really address one aspect of this entire uh, complex situation, and that's payroll administration. But they're lacking the wraparound HR services and direct expertise in household employment management that is needed to actually remove this burden from their plate and to fully protect the clients from lawsuits, injuries and other things that can happen. Team solves this by providing a complete holistic outsourcing of employment administration management. So we manage every aspect of employment, including payroll, taxes, insurance, and then really going through the whole life cycle of a household employee. And then we also can bring in, in addition to our HR staff, um, Our employment attorneys and other partners that we use to really make this something that goes from being managed by by someone who this is not their expertise to being completely outsourced. And the reason we're able to do this is because we do it at scale. So we work with thousands of families throughout all 50 states and we've done that for the past 20 years.
1: And what drew you to this work? What do you love about what you do? There's so much.
0: So yeah, I've been a part of team for seven years now. And this is definitely um, the most fun I've ever had professionally. I think we're going to talk a little bit about service later on. But that's just something that's been a real passion of mine from the very first job I ever had as a seating hostess in a sushi restaurant in Ohio. I just fell in love with the ability to really anticipate client needs um, and take care of something that complex and ultimately makes somebody's life easier, gives them a great experience. And um, at team, we are kind of obsessed with customer service. And I think that's why we've had the success that we've had.
1: Rachel, we're so excited to have you. We want to start with a lightning round to help people get to know you. And you mentioned, you know, how you have a passion for service. Is there a fictional private service professional who you relate to, or do you have a favorite fictional private service professional?
0: Oh, man. That is a really hard question.
1: (laughs) I think you might have stumped me here. (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me something hard. It could be, you know, a waiter that you saw in a movie. It could be somebody who is like in a service role in a fictional environment. Oh, you know what? I don't
0: know if this counts or not, but one of my favorite um, moments in Love Actually when the husband is sneaking off to the department store to um, get the necklace for his assistant. Yes. The guy who is wrapping the potpourri and doing the the the, the most the most, yes. and he's just trying to get up. That is like one of my favorite moments ever because it's so cringy and so hilarious, and it's actually a really good. Customer service lesson because he is doing what he believes is the ultimate customer service experience. And, but he, what he's not doing is reading his audience or understanding, you know, balancing his desire to do the thing that he set out to do in the way that he wanted to do it with what actually the need is at that moment. And so it creates sort of a hilarious tension, you know dramatically. But in real life, that that actually happens a lot too. We have ideas about what we feel is the value we provide and what we think someone else needs in that moment. But a lot of this is really about the human aspect of, of just taking in and understanding what the actual needs are and being able to change course flexibly.
1: I love sure. that
0: answer. That was, that was really hard. <laughs> I hope that's the hardest question you're going to ask me today. I think it is.
2: Started with the curveball, So I think you should be feeling pretty good after this. Nice and warmed up. Oh, good. Rachel is there a favorite room in the house
0: okay this one also might be cheating but definitely yes so it's summer in New England and I have two kids under four so my favorite room in the house right now is our back patio we're really lucky to live in a really it's a beautiful wooded area there's lots of green tree therapy around um, lots for my kids to do and whatever mess that they are making is one-tenth of the issue because it's outside. And then we have, you know, an outdoor fireplace. And it's just, I love being where people are. So any space in the house that's, you know, where where folks are, where the families—that's that's where I like to be. I
2: have to agree with that, especially during the summer. Maybe not so much the deck during the <laughs> yes. At least you get a few months out of the year to enjoy it.
1: And we want to talk a little bit more about your client service experience. So you started in client services before you moved into your role as CEO of team. What's something that you've learned in your client service career that you think would be helpful for our audience of private service professionals to hear? So there's the basics. To to provide
0: good service, it's flawless execution. It's attention to detail responsiveness. Like You can't get by without those things. I think when, for me, taking client service to the next level, there's two important things. One is anticipating the next question or the need behind the question. Someone asks you for something, you can just give them that thing or you can take it one step further and try to anticipate or understand why they asked that and provide them with whatever they, you think they want next, or really maybe even what you think they actually want. Um, and that's kind of a, a segue to the next point, which is a little, maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but, but I've found that some of the most important relationships that I've built as the person providing service have been not just about blindly saying yes, Ultimately, people, in particular, the type of clients that we serve, they have a million things on their plate. They have a lot of decisions to make, and they do value trusted people who will do whatever it is that they ask. But what they value even more is um, a trusted partner who can provide judgment and guidance. So if someone, if a client asks me to do something, absolutely, I'm going to do anything and everything in my power to get them what they need and what they want. I will move mountains. I will not stop till it's done. But if I don't, if I anticipate an issue with what they've asked for, um, I will say, no, I will not say just plain no. I will say, I don't, here's what I think and here's why. And if we go down that path, here are the issues that I see, and here's a different solution that I recommend. And then if they still want to go there, That's fine, but they have the information and they also have, over time, someone that they can trust who is going to give a recommendation and who is willing to put their own thinking cap on um, and build a kind of relationship where eventually you can actually take things off of people's list of worries because they know not only are you going to execute, but you're going to do so using your judgment, which is probably why they're working with you in the first place.
2: That all makes sense. Our audience is always striving to become better people managers. Is there something you've learned or a piece of advice you've gotten about managing people that you found really helpful in your role as a CEO? Yes,
0: so many learning moments. So there's a book I really like, and I, I, I won't make this about the book, but it's called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And I think it's a fantastic read for anyone who, who is a manager. But the, the main takeaway from that book is there's kind of like two interpersonal axes. As a person and as a manager, there is, do you care about the person, like all the way from really caring to, you know, kind of a jerk, don't care at all. And then how, how candid are you willing to be when something comes up that isn't working or is an opportunity for feedback or growth? Do you just keep it to yourself and kind of silently say, okay, that person is not good at X. We'll just not do that next time. Or do you go to them and say, hey, here's an opportunity for you to improve or this, this actually didn't go very well. And then the point is, if you care and you demonstrate that you do care, that gives you the license to, to be able to challenge directly, to be candid, to give that feedback. Um, And that's a theme that we're going to talk about later on in like how to avoid issues in employee management. Direct, direct feedback is so important. And being vague or softening it is not kindness that is ultimately doing a disservice to that person because you're not giving them the ability to grow and to really flourish in their job. So I think it is, and it is very uncomfortable. Mostly as humans, we want to and find lots of ways to avoid those type of conversations, but as managers, it's not only, you know, helpful, it's actually critical. Um, And so having that combination of, of a deep personal commitment to whoever you're managing, their growth and their life, and then the ability to challenge them when needed, I think is is probably one of the most important aspects of being a good manager.
1: I think that brings us perfectly into our conversation today about managing risk in household employment. And I want to start out exploring some aha moments where people realize we really need to get ahead of some of these risks. So can you share some examples of times when people have, you know, come to you and said, like, we really want to be better about how we're managing our household employees. We want to get ahead of some of these problems and, you know, make sure we're not making the same mistakes that we've made in the past or make sure we're not making the mistakes that we don't even know we're making. You know, what are some examples of those aha moments?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, We have so many great stories that I'm very excited to share with you.
1: I think in terms of the
0: aha moments, I would categorize them in maybe two camps. There's like the snowball one where it starts small and it just rolls down. It's a little bigger, a little bigger. And all of a sudden, you know, it's not nothing suddenly happened, but suddenly you're at the bottom of a hill with a giant snowball and you are saying, what do I do with this? This has really gotten out of hand. And then on the other side of it, there are the you know fall off a cliff moments where a single acute incident happens that makes you re-examine everything and say, well, how did we end up here? For the snowball examples, I think we see this a lot. It just administrative complexity really builds over time, especially as you add properties, you add employees, you're bringing in maybe someone for payroll, and then there's a benefits broker, and then there's a CPA or someone to deal with the taxes. And now you're playing in an employment attorney. And then a separate attorney to manage the LLC that they that the employees are you know housed in, and then you're paying that person to do to deal with sort of like payroll or low level HR tasks. We've had people come and say like, okay, this turned into a nightmare. Like it's a huge. Tangled ball of yarn now we have very costly people doing a lot of different things here and we just we need a better way and this is taking up this is taking up hours in my week i I don't do this anymore
1: and i'm sure that's also like very hard to change once you have that snowball i'm sure it's very hard to right the ship because it's been happening for such a long time it's happened gradually
0: and everyone is like everyone is trying to do the right thing and people who have been like slowly expanded into things that really aren't their expertise are really not their wheelhouse they're doing it and they've always done it so it feels Really hard to say no. Um, But as complexity grows, it becomes increasingly unmanageable. That's very common. Maybe the more colorful examples are the kind of oh shoot moments. Um, So, injuries, um, you know, one of the household staff closed their thumb in the garage door. And now there's a a work comp claim that someone needs to pay and manage and deal with the adjuster and figure out, you know, return to work and all of these things. I just, as a side anecdote, we deal with a lot of injuries, particularly in many of the common um, jobs that we see on property. They're fairly physical um, and, and injuries do happen. And these claims can just be so monstrous to resolve. We earlier this year, we closed a workcom claim for someone, um, you know, a, a domestic employee who had had an injury helping um the client out of the shower. This was a caregiving role. And that claim had been open for seven years. Our work comp team had been working to resolve that for seven years. There were multiple attorneys involved, very high dollar for your settlement. Just, it is shocking. Um, Not just only the financial cost, but the administrative and time cost of managing work comp. And that's if you're properly insured, which is a whole other thing that we can talk about later. But at least in this case, there was insurance in place. A lot of times the injuries happen and and there isn't, or people thought there was and there wasn't. So that's um, common. We've also, the the other sort of oh shoot moments that happen are regulatory issues. You know, client came to us after they got a over a $100,000 fine from the state of New York for not having a work cop policy. No one even got injured, just the state authority realized that there are workers without a work comp policy in place. That's illegal in, in almost every state. Um, or you get a letter from somebody's attorney. you got, you know, an employee was separated. They came back and say, okay, well, I had just let you know I was pregnant. This is discrimination, it's wrongful termination. You know, go to file this with the EOC. Or, you know, we get folks who either were classified as exempt when they shouldn't have been, and then after termination, they are coming back for unpaid wages, missed overtime, there wasn't a record of the job, you know, the hours worked. So all of these sort of decisions that were very well-meaning and made sense at the time, it's, you know, everything is great until someone's unhappy. And then when someone's unhappy, that's when the issues come. And there's just, that is so much of the flavor of, of what we deal with. And so much of what we do is putting the proactive policies, documentation, conversations, putting those things in place when everybody's happy so that we can navigate bumps down the road in, in a proactive manner without huge exposures um, when things aren't
1: buttoned up. Thinking about some of these risks, obviously they can lead to a lawsuit, they can be very costly. They can be very time consuming and a huge hassle. But then they can also have sort of these other ripple effects that you don't you wouldn't even think about, like bad PR, like if some of these high profile cases can really blow up. Absolutely.
0: Right. It's a reputational cost. And it's also a a very unquantifiable, but real like emotional and cultural cost to the, the client to other employees and in the household, like when you are dealing with something like this, it is completely draining. And um, there's a lot of other things that don't get done or don't get focused when you have um, an issue like this that you're managing.
2: We want to break down the life cycle of household employment from hiring to exits, to everything in between. So let's start with the hiring. What risks should households and household staff be thinking about in the hiring process? Great question. Um,
0: so... All right, breaking down how to do hiring well. Um, so there's, there's risks, there, there's a lot of risks that we'll talk about. And then and one of those risks is obviously not hiring the right person, which has ripple effects downstream. So just to start with some best practices on hiring, before you even start, really important to be very clear about what you're looking for. Um, this is not only so that you can conduct a fair interview process and you avoid um, you know, claims of discrimination in your hiring, but also so that you get to the right candidate. So we use a scorecarding process that is sort of religiously where you lay out the key deliverables and outcomes that that person is going to be responsible for. And everyone who's a part of the interview process has that same rubric. Um, This is another best practice, and it it does go to, um, you know, discrimination, potential discrimination claims as well. Using a rubric and using a consistent template for every interview that you do is really important um, for both of those reasons, both to, to conduct a thorough screening and not be swayed by things that don't really matter and also to make sure that it's fair. Um, And you want that reflected in a good job description as well, because much of the hiring process is actually sales, especially in this environment. You are fighting to get the good candidates to come and interview. So you want to write that in a way that's going to attract the people that you want with the skills that you want. Um, And you also want to make sure you're very clear about what the expectations are because a mismatch um, in expectations will lead to issues um, down the line. You also want to be really thoughtful about how you're going to attract, again, candidates with the right comp and benefits. Did you do your research? Do you know what the market comp is in that geography for the role? Have you thought about benefits, PTO? questions about remote work. These are all things that will influence the type of candidates that you'll get. And then once you get to the pool of folks that you are excited about, um, very, very important to do reference checks and also to do checks on the reference checks. Fake reference checks, um, unfortunately, are a reality. It's very easy to give a phone number and a name. And it turns out we've done that and had it turns out like that was the candidate's boyfriend. Um, or, or someone else, so making sure that you're doing your due diligence on the information that you're getting. And background checks are extremely important. Um, we have had people recommended for to be hired in a private home who had been paroled from prison less than two months before for kidnapping and aggravated sexual assault. We've had people who got through the interview process and were recommended to hire who had been convicted of murder. Um, you really need to know, you need to do the checks, but I will flag also that's another place where you you have to worry about a little bit of risk. So there are many states have laws regarding the use of background check in the interview process. So you have to be very knowledgeable about how and when you run the background check, what you do with the information and, and what that, that whole process looks like, because you can end up if you get down the line with someone and then you end up not moving forward because Of something in a background check, that is an opportunity again for an employment lawsuit. Um, So be very careful about that. Um, Just on the topic of what to avoid, obviously, discriminatory questions in the interview. There are many topics that you do not want to ask about, even seemingly sort of benign topics like, you know, oh, do you have kids? You know, what? What's Are you married? Are you? You know. You want to like you don't want to ask about questions that could lead to a candidate feeling that they were discriminated against um, for being a part of a protected class or for any other reason. And they're also a, a major theme in the past year or so has been um, laws around compensation. What you can ask, what you can't ask, and what needs to be communicated. So for example, um, you know, there are several states where it is illegal to ask a, an applicant what they are making currently. Um, And in certain states like Colorado, you have to, there are rules about posting the salary range. So all all things that you wanna be aware of as you're going through the interview process.
1: And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, no one wants to let someone go, you know, thinking about radical candor, that's one of those very difficult conversations to have. And the lead up to that can be really difficult too. So how do you make sure you're handling that the right way? Yeah,
0: terminations are very tricky. And it won't surprise you to know that that's where we see a lot of issues. Rarely are folks happy when this is happening. Um, And so this is definitely an area to proceed with caution. So just to rewind before we get to, you know, termination day. Ideally, uh, this is not a surprise. No one who is being let go should ever be shocked by this fact. And if they are, then that is a miss on the management. Now, sometimes people are not, you know, there are clear conversations and signs and people can still not pick up on that, but if if this should not if this is something that's been in the works for some time, there have been repeated performance issues. There should be documentation of previous discussions, a performance improvement plan, you know, clear written documentation that says, yes, I understand we spoke about this and I understand what I need to do differently. Or sometimes, you know, there's just, there's a something happens and it is a completely, it's a fireable fence and it happens right there and you do it. And, and you know, sometimes it isn't something that's, that's in the works. But again, that whatever happened, it shouldn't be surprising to the employee that that is the result. And then in terms of actually conducting the termination, um, in my experience, this is not a great time to have a long conversation. This is not a time for a lot of feedback and re-legislating the past. Ideally, you have had many of those conversations. You all have worked and tried together to the best of your ability to have this work. And this is a point where it just, it is not working. So you're parting ways. I like to keep the conversation very short. Um, you sit down, you don't have make small talk and right away, you know, it's like we're here today because you know we're going to separate you today. And then you're moving into logistics. We're not going back. Sometimes, you know, people will ask why or they want to get into, but just you. you so you have your talking points in advance and you're really not there to re legislate. It's a decision that's been made and you're moving forward. Um, and the other piece of it that's really important is to be logistically set for that termination. So that means final pay. Required notices. If you are doing a severance agreement, which if is is generally a best practice, um, you have that agreement ready to go. Walking through it with them, you already have coordinated if there needs to be access removed to any you know technology, or you'll be changing locks or any other sort of security measures. It seems like almost overkill to but you, you really you want all those things done by the time you sit down so that it's very clean you do it and out quickly it's also the kind thing to do it is very awkward to sit around and fiddle with you know okay get the stuff go here we're not sure what else when someone's already been let go you want to do the, that person the courtesy of allowing them to exit gracefully as quickly as possible If you're going to need that employee to go get something and return it, to put things in a box, to do anything else, think about that when you're issuing the final pay. Um, If you're going to ask them to do further duties, you know, whether you pay them out through the end of the week or whatever it is. And, yeah, it's really just about being being prepared by this is the end of a road that's already been well laid. You are administratively prepared. And again, just very clean and simple with a delivery and you're moving on to next steps. The, the truth of the matter is like, this is probably the least fun part of anyone who's ever you know, been an employer, been a manager. It is, it's terrible, it doesn't get better. Um, but the reality is keeping someone in a job where they are not successful is not doing them a favor. It is not fun to be in a job where it is not the right fit and you are not being successful. And even if it might not seem like it in the moment, it is a kindness to give that person an opportunity to find something else to do where they are going to be great. Um, and so again, being just very clear and direct and getting to the point will, will be the best way. Some of the worst, um, scenarios that we have cleaned up after our scene is when emotions at this stage lead to issues that go on for a very long time. So I'll give maybe one example. We had, um, a client who had an employee that had been with the family for 15 years, um, and she was a caretaker for one of the elderly family members, and there had been a number of issues. But anyways, one of the, you know, the adult sons fired her by putting a sticky note on her car window. She ended up um, threatening a lawsuit. There was a, a lot of this was a very, very difficult situation to manage. ended up being a fairly um, large settlement, but what it came down to as we were investigating and trying to work through this, The biggest issue for her was that she didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the person that she had taken care of for 15 years. And if she had just been given that simple courtesy, she likely would not have gone to a lawyer We would not have gone through the months long negotiation process and a lot of pain that we did afterwards. It was very sort of like a simple dignity. And so that is... That is worth thinking about. It may not be logical, it may not be on your mind, but whatever you can do to make the process clear and straightforward and do what you do, but also kind, um, can go a long way for, for all involved. This is probably also obvious, but we, we've dealt with this a lot. You have to be thoughtful about how and when you perform a termination. While someone has just shared that they're going out on leave, while they are have just had a work comp injury, while well, they have just told you that they are pregnant, those are not good times to separate people. And if you do that, you have to be aware of the risks. Um, ultimately, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And sometimes having is bad, but you just need to be extremely knowledgeable if you are going into a high-risk situation like that, um, that you are, you know, working with an employment attorney, that you have good documentation, that you, you know, maybe you, you do go for um, a more generous severance agreement, but those are just always things that you have to watch out for. Um, and they, they always seem to, to come up. So <laughs> I'm trying to go with anything else on determination.
1: No, I think you really covered it. My one follow up was thinking about that conversation. You know, you mentioned that you need to lay the groundwork ahead of time. And then if they ask why in that final conversation, you know, this is not the time for that. How do you steer that conversation away from that rehashing? What do you say?
0: It's an art um you don't want to completely say like I'm not even going there but I think you can I usually like to have the talking points in advance that say like you know we we've discussed X was an issue and like we went through the process of trying to you know and we we just we weren't successful there so like this is it's no longer you know it, it's not working and just come back to like there's why there's why you but you you have kind of like the simple high-level version and you can come back to that and then it's like okay, I think, Pushing things toward the action of what is happening next is a very useful way to do that too, which is, okay, and and here's this paperwork. like we're, we're offering you severance, I'm going to walk you through it, and then you, if you let me know if you have any questions, and then I'm going to walk you to this place and we're going to get your things and we're going to go out here. So just again directing towards what's coming next it's like we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the decision the decision is done it's already done it's not reversible it has been made in the past and now we're working together on how to move forward
2: let's talk about the day-to-day now i think you mentioned it earlier recruiting great talent is really challenging especially right now this um, last couple of years being COVID, and um, what are some best practices you can share for estate managers and household employers who want to keep their best people
0: I cannot stress how important proactive check-ins are. If you do not have a regular touch point with folks that you manage, I would strongly encourage you to have that and not just to say, okay, what are you working on this week? How did it go? Okay, great. Move on. It helps to have a structured place where both you and the employee can voice concerns. This can feel difficult if something is not going well or if they're having a challenge or if they've been concerned about something you definitely want to know about it. And so inviting that saying, Hey, this is time for you. You bring me your list. We're going to talk about whatever you want um, is important. And that also gives you the space to give as real time as possible feedback on anything that's not going well. It's not to say you're going to, you know, every single day, don't do this, don't do that. Cause you know, there's obviously there's a lot, but it just makes it, it normalizes the giving of feedback and guidance and it opens the door for them. Like, If someone is unhappy or they want to change roles or they have a dream of doing something different as a manager, I want to know that when, when I start working with someone, I will sit down with them and say, okay, like, what do you want to do in three years or 18 months? And by the way, the answer doesn't have to be, oh, it's the job that I just, you just hired me for. Like, I want to do that for the rest of my life. That is usually not the case. But even if the answer is like, hey, I want to run a bakery, it's like, great. I love that for you. You're here now. You're going to do a great job. What is it that we can do while working together to get you the skills and learning you need to get there? And if their dream job is something else that's available under my purview, then that's awesome that I know that. And then we can be really clear about, okay, if you want that, this is what the skill set you're going to need. Here's the experience you're going to need and how do we work through that together? Um, it's, it's surprising how often, you know, you can find people that have been working together for years and years and they have no idea what the dreams and the goals are of the people they're managing. And I feel like that is so important. Um, it gets back to that caring personally piece and it's just a reality because what, what I want, what I, 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 what I love is when, you know, folks that I'm working with come to me and say, you know what, I think I want to do something else. You know, I don't I don't know if I'm happy with this long term. That's the best conversation ever because then it's like, okay, you've decided you want to do something else. Let I'm going to help you do that. And by the way, now I have three months to find your replacement and work on this. The worst conversation is I'm this is my two weeks. I took another job. And I didn't tell you because I didn't think you would be supportive or I didn't think that was like welcome here. Because whatever it is that people want to do in their life, they're going to do it. And you're either going to be a coach and a guide to help them on their journey. And by the way, then not have to backfill after someone left or you're not. So making sure that you have that connection is amazing. Okay, that's kind of philosophical stuff. There's other sort of more tactical things. Policies. Job duties expectations so important to have those outlined. It, this feels like the you know HR police unfun stuff, but I can't tell you how many times we've run into really serious issues, disputes between staff because one person's getting one thing, one person's getting another. They thought they had holiday pay, but they don't. They you know plan to be like you just have to get that stuff out and writing on the first day. They very clearly. This is what the expectations are, here's the schedule, here's how we're going to handle this type of things, here's the benefits and then if there's something on there that, you know, is off or it has a problem like talk about it then and deal with it. But there's a lot of sort of vagueness and unspoken tension. I feel like specifically in household staff situations and sometimes it can feel very onerous or scary to bring concerns to the family or they don't know who to go to and so having Someone in this role and having everything sort of just out on the table can really avoid a lot. But a caveat to that, having bad policies is much worse than having no policies. If you are going to write something down, make sure that it is something you would want in an exhibit in a lawsuit. Anything like things that are discriminatory, aren't well thought out, actually violate wage and hour law. Like, yes, I agree. I'm not going to get paid overtime. Like, do no. First of all, don't do that and don't put it in a policy. So, if you're going to write policies, I would have an employment attorney and HR professional work with someone review them to make sure that you're memorializing things that you want memorialized. I would also encourage a practice beyond sort of the weekly or normal check ins of um, performance reviews. And again, these should be more like coaching and like future planning conversations it's not a best practice to save your feedback for every six months or a year so if they are not doing something well they should probably already know about it but having that dedicated time to really sit down once twice a year and say hey in general how are you doing how do you think things are going what can i be doing better as a manager it's just as much feedback for the manager as it is for the employee and then also being able to give them a very realistic assessment of where they are versus expectations, where they are versus their goals and like the plan that you've already talked about for their career. Um, that's yeah. great to have that time. And it's also important to document it. If you end up needing to move forward to a termination, then having a sort of path of what has and has gone well is, uh, is important too.
1: Can you think of a time where you saw sort of one of these snowball situations? Everything was chaotic. The best practices were not in place. And then the household was able to put some of these best practices in place and sort of right the ship, help their employees feel valued, help them feel like a well-oiled machine. What did they do right in that situation? And how did they you know, change it from this snowball chaos to something that runs really smoothly?
0: This is going to sound like a, a very clear answer, but like we, we see this all the time, we thousands and thousands of times over and what, what they generally do in the situations we see is they they call us and we do all of this for them. So I don't mean this to be like a sales team, but it's like, it's all the basics we just talked about. Okay, if there are concerns, people aren't happy, there's a dispute going on, let's sit down, let's understand what they are. They're, you're concerned about a policy that's being applied to one employee, not to you. Well, here's why, you know, they've been with the with the family for 20 years, we've been here for two and like, this is how it works. Um, let's get a handbook in place, let's get the policies in place. And then you and you, when you have questions here, you're going to call us. You don't have to go to that person. You don't have to bring it to the family, but we're here as your HR advisor. And if you have questions, if you have concerns, you're going to surface them. Sometimes we'll even start by in situations where there's a lot of complexity, we'll start with a weekly call. It's like, okay, this is the weekly call where we're going to progress, you know, talk about the progress on these different things that we're working through. We're going to check in with everyone and make sure that everybody's good. And sometimes it's really simple things like just... Making sure payroll is done right and on time. People get really upset when their payroll is messed up, and it happens a lot. If you can figure out what are the big, like the thorns in people's side, fix them, make them understand that, you know, they are valued, that there is there is structure in place to support them, to help them so they can be successful in their role, that can really go a long way. None of it is magical or rocket science. It's just having someone who can actually focus on it. And by the way, it really helps if they're a trained HR professional so that they know how to navigate these things, um, which can be difficult if this is not you know, your background.
2: Rachel, is there anything we haven't covered or do you have any other final words of advice or wisdom for our audience?
1: We
0: covered a lot. I think the theme that came out through everything from hiring, determinations to ongoing management. And by the way, it's, it's not really just for employee management. I would advocate this is a good policy in general for life. Honesty is, is kind getting surfacing issues, addressing them, and being extremely clear about what's working, what's, what's not working will always serve you. It is the hardest thing in the world. And I've dealt with this myself. I've dealt with this with employees in, in my home. It can feel like you just can't go there just based on the setting. For some reason, like when you get, if you're in an office, it's one thing, but you're there, you're sitting in your kitchen and just, but that is why it's even more important. So I've just, encourage creating space for ongoing dialogue, um, be able to have issues surfaced from all sides, from all parties, creating space for that and that's it.
2: Thank you to Rachel Green for joining us on the show today. Learn more about team at teamemployment.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and subscribe to the EaseMakers podcast to get notified about new episodes. And as always, join the EaseMakers community to connect with other private service professionals on a regular basis.
1: The EaseMakers podcast and the EaseMakers community are presented by Nines, the first dynamic household management platform built for discerning households and the private service professionals who support them. Visit NinesLiving.com to see how Nines can help you bring your house manual to life so you can live with ease.
2: I'm Mohammed Elzamore
1: And I'm Kristen Twyford.
2: And we'll see you next time on the EaseMakers podcast.